Well, last week, Pastor Eric was up here and he put the disclaimer on his sermon that it was his road sermon, his sermon that he preaches at different churches um, as we go and fill uh, vacant pulpits uh, for churches that don't have pastors. And so I'll put that disclaimer on this as well. This has been a sermon that I have been using at different churches. And I want to say two things about that. One, if you're part of a fan club that follows me around, you may have heard this before. <laughs> that might only apply to Stacy, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Um, second, it's been interesting for me to... This changes every time I preach it. It's been interesting to me to see how God uses even a sermon that I put together a few months ago to keep telling me some things that I need to hear. I talked to a member of this congregation earlier this week who said they would watch the sermon, um, whatever it was that week, and then they would watch it with a family member later in the week, and how much more they got out of it the second time around. And that's not to say, okay, when you go home, watch this all again, but it's just this God continues to speak, and God has continued to speak to me through, through some of these words um, from his word, and talk to me later if you want to hear some of that journey, uh, but it's just been interesting for me to, to preach that same thing over and over again. And so as we've heard a couple times during this service, I'm preaching on the Great Commission today, and those might be familiar words. I think we're going to look at a different part of it today, but I invite you to follow along in Matthew 28, verse 16. So whether you have Bibles in the pew or, or Bibles at home or want to follow along the words behind me. Matthew 28, verse 16, Matthew writes these words under the title of the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. And these are also words of Matthew's. And this is how Matthew chooses to end his gospel. And it took us a while to get to this point. The whole rest of Matthew starts with Jesus' birth and Jesus leading his disciples in teachings, in miracles, in parables. In fact, we have 26 chapters of Jesus discipling the disciples and talking to the crowds. And then we have two chapters where things just seem to end in a whirlwind of narrative. You see, we spent all this time moving to this point that Jesus said all along was going to come. And Matthew wasn't shy of hiding that within his gospel. But then we get to these last two chapters. And in that short period at the end of Matthew, we have Jesus convicted, Jesus crucified, Jesus dies and rises and sees his disciples and now is planning to go back to heaven. And it feels that after all Matthew has done, after all the details that we've moved to this point, suddenly this is an abrupt ending. Suddenly it just seems to be over. And I don't know about you, but as I've read through this, that's left me very unsettled in a way. 
I don't like this abrupt ending. I think that Matthew could have done so much more here. I don't know about you, but I wish Matthew had said a little bit more about what Jesus' interactions looked with the disciples at this point. I would have liked to hear more of the disciples and how they felt seeing Jesus more than just they worshipped and doubted. But what I really would have liked is a bit more from Jesus. I would have liked some more teaching. I would have liked some more, hey guys, see what I had said here and then what happened and now what that means? Can you imagine a Jesus who was crucified and died in front of lots of people suddenly teaching again in front of all those people? And it leaves me unsettled because I think, Jesus, you missed an opportunity here as a resurrected Savior to do some teaching that people had to listen to a little more than they would have otherwise. But this isn't the only thing that leaves me a little unsettled with the ending here. This is the Great Commission. That's how it's titled in our Bibles. And while I'm not going to talk a lot about the Great Commission itself, so I'm glad that we heard that in the children's message, and I'm glad we've discovered that other places, this is the Great Commission. And it's something that we hold as important in our church and as Christians around the world. It's also something that if I'm going to say how good it is and important it is, I also need to confess we've done it wrong a lot of times. You can look at the Crusades, you can look at colonialism, you can look at what's happened in residential schools and with our indigenous population under the name of making disciples, that making disciples. And so we've done it wrong, and we need to admit that as part of our history, but it remains an important task given to us by Jesus, and maybe we need to figure out a little how to do that at times, but it remains important. But what leaves me unsettled is this great commission was not necessarily given to the greatest people here in Matthew. And I'll walk you through a bit of what that looks like for me. Matthew is a book of discipleship. It's long been known to be the book of the Gospels that really teaches what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to lead others. And that's why so many of us like a lot of what we find in Matthew. In Matthew, we read the Beatitudes, which Pastor Eric preached on last week. In Matthew, we read the Sermon on the Mount, words that are probably familiar to a lot of us. In Matthew, we see all those healings. We read the parables. We see how Jesus got down into the mess with other people to teach them how to follow and then how to make disciples. Matthew is a book of discipleship. But there's another undercurrent that runs through Matthew as well. And that's where we see that these are not the greatest disciples. Because if you read through the rest of Matthew, you see time and time again where these disciples fall short. And it makes you want to shake your head sometimes of, can't you guys just get it? And I don't know if you know all those stories in Matthew, but we'll look at just the last two chapters getting us to the point we are today in the reading of the Great Commission. Right before this reading, it starts with Judas, one of the disciples who has walked with Jesus this whole way, ends up turning and betraying his leader. And then we have the story where a few of the disciples, in Jesus' hour of greatest need, end up falling asleep on Jesus. 
And then a little further in that, we have after Jesus spoke about peace and taught forgiveness, we have one of the disciples cutting off the ear of someone who was arresting Jesus. Not exactly what Jesus had taught for his whole life. And then we have all of the disciples deserting Jesus and fleeing. And then we have Peter, a disciple who was close to Jesus, who denies three times, even cursing, that he doesn't even know who Jesus is. And Matthew doesn't try to hide this from us. Matthew puts that plain as day. And we need to remember that at this point, these disciples aren't newbies. They can't say, oh, we just started, we don't really know what we're doing. They have followed Jesus for years at this point and still end up making these choices. After all of Matthew, after all of this book of discipleship, we're not exactly seeing the results that we would hope to see when it comes to the Great, uh, the great Commission. I think part of what bothers me here is this is a missed opportunity, it feels like. This was the chance for this graduation of sorts, for Jesus to say, you did it. You walked with me. Now I'm handing you the keys. And maybe some of you have had that story play out in your own families or watched movies or read books where the child, as they're raised, makes mistakes, tries over and over again, and finally gets to the point where, where the parent is ready to hand over the keys to the family business. Or they finally earned the rights to have a new car that they can, because they've earned that and they've shown what they can do. And I'm like, disciples, this could have been your chance for that. And we read what we read here. Because Matthew's intentional throughout his book of painting this picture, and in these few verses we read today, paints that very same picture again. So let's look at that. Let's look at what Matthew's doing here. And so strike one, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Sure, it looks kind of good. They went to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. But did you catch that third word there? Then the eleven disciples. Matthew didn't need to say that. Matthew could have just said the disciples. But Matthew is pointing out here again that something is wrong. Something is missing. And for a Jewish audience, for those who are reading Matthew's writing, they would see 11 and that would sting. 11 is not the number of power, that number of completion that they would want to read. 12 is. The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, 12 showing up in all these places, and Matthew on purpose says the 11. And Frederick Buhner, one of the authors I read in preparing this, talks about how that 11 would seem to limp their way to Jesus. Something was missing here, and Matthew points that out to us. And then we see the next thing Matthew writes. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And at first I see this trajectory going well. When they saw him, you're like, great, they see Jesus. This is an important step. And then they worship him, and you're reading along, and you're like, yes, you guys get it. This is exciting. Finally, this is a chance. And then Matthew just throws a curveball and says, but some doubted. And I'm just like, I want to reach through the page and say, why, guys? So many times I have prayed, Jesus, if you only showed up right in front of me and told me some things face to face, I would do those things because it would be clear. And I see the disciples having this exact same opportunity that I've wanted, and they doubt. And I want to point out the Greek phrase here, and I'm not going to read it or say a whole lot about Greek, so don't worry. 
But when we hear that some doubted, translators say that's probably not the best translation. And I wonder at times if some doubted is meant to protect us or meant to protect the disciples and not make them look so bad. But it's interesting that the same phrase that some doubted is used elsewhere in Matthew to talk about all who were present. And so you have to look at this here and you have to start to wonder. So they all worshipped, and did they all doubt? Because Matthew and what he's done throughout his book would lead me to believe that it wasn't just nine of them worshipped and two of them doubted. There's a sense of all who were present were those worshipping, and all who were present were also those who were doubting. The worshippers are also the doubters. And I would say things don't look so different now. Take a look around you. We can be a limping, broken, hurting people who feel incomplete. And that's not the whole story, but that is part of our story at times. Connotations of the 11 can also make sense here. Not necessarily who's missing from empty pews, but who's missing from a life of discipleship. Who has maybe chosen to walk in different ways than what we believe Jesus might be teaching. And I'll admit that I often don't have to look very far from myself to see the ways that I've strayed from that life of discipleship at times. And those who worshipped, who also doubt, can also fit us here in 2022, in this space or watching online. I can only ask the disciples so many times, why can't you just get it before I start asking myself, those same questions. And in my year that I've been here at Mountain View, I've visited enough of you and heard enough stories that I know that we have seen Jesus walking among us. I know that we can recall times in our life where we have seen God almost face to face because I've heard you tell me those stories. But it is easy to doubt still, isn't it? It's easy to get to points where we don't remember that as clearly and we wonder, where are you now, God? Where have you been? And I don't need to go far to make all these connections. We are like the disciples in many ways. But we are still called to go. We are still given this great commission as we heard in the children's message. And we still have our own questions. And it leads me to wonder still, are we the best option, Jesus? Are we ready for this? And I think about my own studying at seminary and, and my colleagues and fellow students who are studying there, and I see those questions happening. Because I see how we've learned a lot of good scripture. We've read what Jesus said. We've studied what Jesus said. We teach what Jesus has said. We still have our questions. And it makes me wonder, well, I still have all these questions, Jesus. Are you really choosing me to go do this? And if you read any of the church fathers and mothers, books from a long time ago, you hear these very same questions over and over. Am I good enough to do this? Am I really the right one who should be given this mission? Any kids who are still in here who heard the children's message, you might think, am I really old enough to do this? Do I really know enough things to be given this big task? Because that message in a bottle seems a lot easier when I don't have to ask or answer questions that go along with it. And when we head back to the text, we don't get much background info on that. 
The text doesn't give us a lot of what the disciples were thinking in this moment other than worshiping or doubting. We don't hear their inner thoughts. We don't get any nice speech bubbles of Peter, when Jesus said this, thought, how can I? We, we don't get those things. All we hear is that they doubt and that Jesus still calls them. And while Matthew doesn't write a whole lot here, we can see throughout the rest of his gospel, and Pastor Eric talked about that, that last week, we can see what Matthew is doing. Because all along, Matthew was pointing out the people who were following, falling short. Matthew's genealogy at the beginning includes people we would never expect or maybe want to be part of that story. And all along, Matthew is doing this, and it should come as no surprise here at the end that Matthew continues to do this. But suddenly here it comes together. Why Matthew all throughout his gospel has been leading to this point of people missing the mark and then this. Because we recognize that all this brokenness after all this discipleship leads us to Jesus saying, these, you, are exactly the disciples that I am choosing for this great task. The denier was there. The ones who fell asleep were there. The ones who had fled and deserted Jesus were there. The doubters were there. And Jesus in that moment looked at them and says, I am choosing you. I find this incredible. I also want to give Jesus a little advice saying, no, they're not ready. They need work. They need training. What are you doing? But Jesus knows what he is doing. Jesus just needed these disciples to be present there in that place for him to give this great commission. And I want to briefly note two things about this presence. Two types of presence. First, we read that the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. The disciples actually showed up. In spite of everything that had just happened, in spite of probably their shame of running away from Jesus in that great time of need, in spite of their fear, if they just killed Jesus, their leader, what was next for them? In spite of all of that, they still showed up where Jesus asked them to go. I think we need to note that Jesus gives the commission to those who are present. But the most important thing is what Jesus says here in verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's Jesus' presence that brings this all together. Not just Jesus' presence there on a mountain in Galilee, but what Jesus promises to do with and for those disciples. Jesus doesn't need my advice. He knows exactly that those disciples aren't fully ready. He knows exactly where they fall short and still goes ahead with this task that is greater than any of them. And he gives them the only way that it works. I am with you. And when you look at Matthew a little deeper, you see the language that Matthew is playing with. If we go to the next slide, I've tried to um, make this a little clear for you. Matthew uses incomplete and complete language. That incomplete of the 11. That incomplete of those who are doubting. And then gives them a complete task to make disciples of all nations and to obey all I have commanded. And if you like language and you look at this, you say, how can something incomplete do something complete? It just doesn't work. And Matthew knows that too, and that's why he plays with this language, because if we go to the next slide, we see how Jesus makes it complete. All authority. 
The complete amount has been given to me, says Jesus, and surely I am with you always, forever, to the very end of the age. It's Jesus' presence that completes this opportunity, this ability to go out and do the Great Commission. So again, we look around here. We're still not too different than those in Galilee. And Matthew isn't just speaking to those 11, and I wonder if part of the reason Matthew's gospel ends so abruptly is because that part of the story is still being written. We are part of that story. We are part of the story of how this great commission now plays out. The worshipers, the doubters, the incomplete, the broken, those who are present. And Jesus is still part of that story too. He knows who we are. He knows who we aren't. He knows the gifts we have and and the things we wish we had. He knows the questions. He knows the doubts. And Jesus still chooses us to be his disciples and to make more disciples. And we get to show the world what this looks like. We don't need to show the world what it looks like to be perfect Christians and followers of Jesus and say, hey, come be like us. Do this, don't do this, that is what it means to follow Jesus. No, we get an opportunity to show the world what it looks like to be broken people who are following a Savior. And we get to show the world what it looks like to have Jesus walking alongside us as those broken people. Jesus does not need us to be perfect to go to follow and serve him. Jesus does not need us to go study at seminary so that we can talk to others about Jesus. Jesus needs us to be present. Jesus needs us to show who we are. And then Jesus needs us to accept and walk alongside him and then go out and show the world exactly what that looks like. And I find that beautiful here. That the problem here isn't, in my mind, that people doubted because Jesus doesn't fix that problem. My problem here is that Jesus called the doubters, and so I have to look, where does Jesus fix that? It's by going along with them. So Jesus' presence doesn't fix our doubts, but Jesus' presence allows us to go from this place, to make disciples, to show people who we genuinely are and who Jesus really is. We're no longer incomplete. Jesus will go with us always, it says. I want to end with Philippians because I believe these words from Paul kind of show us what that looks like. This is Paul's blessing, Paul's wish for the people he is writing to. And he talks about a God who began a good work in you, a good work in all of us. And he prays that that God will carry out to completion the work that has been started until the day of Christ Jesus. It's not a prayer that God carries out that work to completion so that then you can go and make disciples. But Jesus says, as you are discipled, as you walk alongside me and make disciples, I continue to make you complete. So we don't need to be perfect. We can do what we heard in the children's message. We can go out and share who God is just how we are because we believe that Jesus is walking along with us every step of the way. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I can't speak for everyone here, but I know I often feel incomplete. 
I often feel that something's missing. I often feel that I just need to learn a little bit more, and then I can do things better. But Lord, I know enough in conversations with everyone here that we all often feel that way. And so, Lord, we admit that we are broken, that we don't have all things figured out. But Lord, above all of that, we thank you that you don't need us to be perfect, but that you need us to be present and that you promise to walk with us. Thank you, Lord, for that promise. Thank you that we can go from this place being exactly who we are as disciples of yours and can invite other people into that messy journey of what it means to follow you. Please continue to walk with us to the end of the age so that we can do that with you. In your name we pray. Amen.